0: All right, man, I love an active, happening church. Well, how exciting, man. Those are some great Bible studies. Make sure you find one to connect with. Hey, for getting baptized in water, go ahead and make your way to the back of the church to meet with Pastor Mauricio in Normandy in in a few minutes. I'm excited to celebrate with those who are being baptized in water. It's going to be great. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 or also to Mark 10. Those are going to be two scriptures we look at today. I'll be there in a few minutes. Uh, you can find them on you Version 2 We are in a series called 15, and we're looking at different chapter 15 so that we can uh, find God's Word and truth in various places in the Bible. So I'm looking forward to sharing with you from the passage today. Hey, our church is going somewhere. We're not just maintaining an identity. We're not just maintaining space. God has called us to go somewhere, and we want you to know more about that. So there's a, there's a opportunity called CIL Forward, and you can start CIL Forward any day of the week. Uh, you can even start it after the sermon. You can find it online at cil.church. But occasionally we offer this face-to-face in purpose and, and face-to-face uh, to, to go through. Um, boy, I'm hearing a ring. Are we, are, is anyone else hearing that? Okay, good. It's, maybe it's just for me. Um, so we go, we go through where God is taking us as a church. So you can go online and start that today. You can start that right now. Or you can register for August 16th. There's one of the things I'll talk about through this this initiative is that our mission is to know his love and to share his love. And we're getting to know his love by interacting with each other through the music we're enjoying. We're getting to know his love through the scripture today, but then we also share his love. God's called us to this community. We're here in Hendersonville and Gallatin and White House, Goodlitzville, North Nashville region. God's placed us here not just to know his love only. That's important but to share his love also. So that's part of who we are and who God has called us to to be. Have you ever said, I'm never going to do that again? Yeah, I know you have. Now, I'm kind of quirky about stuff like this, that if I have a bad experience, I'll just say, okay, I'm going to avoid that as much as I can in the future. So about over 10 years ago, I was on a ministry trip, Coming back from, from a long flight, it, it had been the longest flight I had ever been on. And I got my luggage, and I got outside, and I was ready to be picked up. And the person who was supposed to pick me up told me they're going to be 30 minutes away. I was like, oh, man, that was so disappointing to me. And I thought, I'm never going to do this again. So for about 10 years, I parked at the airport. I never had anyone pick me up again until one of my sons went to college like three miles down the road. And I said, okay, well, now the, the, the chances are higher now. There's a restaurant here in Hendersonville. It's a national chain. So don't worry, I'm not picking on any, any, any uh, restaurant owner, but it's a, it's a fast food type of restaurant. And I really liked it. In fact, I would go there about, you know, once a week, maybe once every 10 days. And one time I went and they charged me twice. So I went on my, on my bank account and they charged me twice. So I went back, they refunded me the money. Then it happened a second time. And the second time, uh, I wasn't able to get the refund because we were trying to get out of town and all that. And so, you know, you have to do that like within 24 hours. You guys, then it happened a third time. And even though I really liked the food there, I've decided I'm never going back there again. And I haven't. I haven't been back there in months and months and months. And I'm probably healthier because of that. But. <laughs> Nonetheless, there's just things that happen which make us say or think, man, I'm not going to do that ever again. And this is kind of what God is communicating through 1 Samuel 15, or at least our understanding of God is being communicated. So we're going to read a long passage in 1 Samuel 15, but I want to give you another disclaimer about the Old Testament. Let me ask you this question, but don't answer it out loud. Does the Old Testament ever make you feel uncomfortable? Well, I told you not to answer out loud. Well, I just want to tell you as your pastor, the answer for me is yes. I mean, there's just things in the Old Testament that I'm like, is this really the religion that I'm a part of? Or did God really say this in this way? And it's kind of, it's kind of tough. So the Old Testament we use often as metaphor to point us to Jesus and to help us live a holy life. And especially when it comes to like killing people. And so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of death in the Old Testament. Uh, especially as the Jews are taking over the land and, and they're 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 killing lots of people and so forth. And so that's the narrative that we kind of jump into here in 1 Samuel 15. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15 and we're going to talk we're going to start with verse 9. Excuse me, verse 10. And up to this point that God had told the king Saul, uh, the, he told him to kill everybody, and he didn't kill everybody. He didn't kill the king, and he, did, he, didn't, he didn't do what, what the interpretation, what he thought he was supposed to do. Again, you might say already, well, wow, did God really say that? You know, did God say, kill? why did God say that? That's what our systematic theology classes are for. And we can't answer every one of these questions on Sunday mornings. But one of the things I want to do is I want to at least bring up the questions. Because I, I do want to tell you about the culture of our church. Is our church, we're okay to ask questions. It's okay for us to say, boy, that doesn't feel right, or I don't understand that. We don't hide that. You know, I read a lot of commentaries on, on the Bible when I get ready for these messages. And it's interesting that most of the questions that I have, the guys and gals who write the commentaries skip those verses. <laughs> it's like... I understand what Captain Obvious is saying. I, 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 I want to know the stuff I don't understand. And, and this is the journey we're on, learning Scripture, knowing Scripture, and learning it as a community, and learning it as a community. So I like that culture here, that it's okay to say that doesn't feel right, and, and here we are. Now the Holy Spirit still moves within that. So we're in the context here of, of Saul was supposed to, to eliminate everybody here, and he didn't do that. And now we'll start with verse 10, and we'll, we'll read uh, all the way through verse 26. I usually don't read that many scriptures because we're all ADD, but um, we're going to do it today because there's good points in all of them, are interesting points. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king. Actually, let me back up a little bit. I am so sorry about this. I want to start in verse 9, okay? I'm starting in verse 9. Saul and his troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Saul became angry and cried out to the Lord. Excuse me, Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Saul came to him, Saul said, may the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel replied, then what is this sound of sheep and goats from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats and cattle and ordered to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God? But the rest we destroyed. Stop, exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued. Although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. And the troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to pay attention. It's better than the fat of rams. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so we'll move on. Hey, you guys did good. Y'all read like the longest passage we've read here in a long, long time. So so a lot is happening here. But this, this verse in verse 10 catches my attention. It says, the Lord regretted I made Saul king. The word of the Lord came and into verse 11 says, I regret that had made Saul king. Well, that really catches my attention. Like, does God actually have regrets? Now, he said this when when the story of Noah and the flood came to. He said, I I regret this. But does God really have regrets? So I've wrestled with this a lot. And just, I want to go ahead and say the answer is no in the sense of the regrets that we have. So this is language that is used to help us experience an emotion that God experienced. So God experiences, God, we know this is that in his sovereignty and in his will, he, he allows himself to feel things. And in this sense, he allowed himself to feel the gravity of Saul's sin. Saul did not obey God completely. God only, got, Saul only obeyed God partially. And this was not just like, a minor mistake. This was as the leader of God's people, it was very consequential, the decisions that Saul made. Now, you're going to see something really interesting later on in chapter 15. In the same chapter that says the Lord regretted making Saul king, it's reestablished by the prophet Samuel that the Lord never makes a mistake. And I think that's important for us to hear. So go now with me to verse 28 of the same chapter. Verse 28. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Now look at this part. He who is the glory eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For he is not a man who changes his mind. This is a great example of why we have to see the whole counsel of scripture. Because you could just say in that one verse, verse 11 says God regretted making him king, or verse 10. But then later on, verse 20, 20, 26 or, or 29, we, we hear clearly God doesn't change his mind and God doesn't lie. So what was happening when he said, I regret making Saul king? We are experiencing the emotion God feels when we sin. And I think that's important for us to know that that God loves us and cares for us. So when we sin, there is a grieving. In fact, the, the scripture tells us the Holy Spirit grieves and, he, and he's sad. It's not a sign of weakness, right? It's not a sign that like, God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't have regret because he was surprised. Uh, God doesn't have sadness because he's incomplete, but he chooses these emotions and communicates those to us so that we can understand God better. Like he gets involved in our lives and our sin really matters to him. And so using that, I want to go through this passage and I want you to see some characteristics of Saul, but I want you to see those characteristics in you because I certainly see them in me. All right. So we're we're not going to pick on Saul as much as we're going to see ourselves in Saul and see some of the weaknesses that happen. So here's the first thing. We're going to talk about why would God regret calling us? Why would God regret calling us? We know he doesn't really regret, but why is he is he giving us those emotions? Here's the first one: refusal to obey. Refusal to obey. Only obeying partially. In this context, and using this as a metaphor, Saul was supposed to eliminate all of all of the land. I mean, all, all, of, all of the people, the king himself, even the cattle. Look at verse 9 again. Saul and the troops spared Agag. Who's Agag? He's like the king. He's like the prize. He's the trophy. He's the, the king who, in, in a military context, this would be uh, the one paraded as a trophy. And so, very much so, Saul's saying, hey, I know God wanted me to eliminate Agag, but I, I'm using him. As a trophy to bring glory to myself. And the best of the sheep, goats, cattles, and choice animals, as well as the young rams, and the best of everything else. Now, look at this. They were, they were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. Right? It's kind of like us. We don't give the best stuff from our house to the church, but the old furniture and the artworks we don't like anymore. It's like, hey, would the church like that in their living room? Not the, not the expensive new stuff, the five-year-old stuff. That's why we don't take donations like that. So just to let you know that, you just keep your donations. We don't take, that, we don't take you know, those kind of donations. Uh, because we don't want to hurt your feelings and say, we don't want your couch, you know? Laugh with me, please. Come on, give me a laugh. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't want to hurt people's feelings and say, the artwork you enjoyed for 10 years in your living room does not belong in our hallway. If you don't like it anymore, we don't either. And that was a little culture establishing point. It wasn't in the notes, but man, was it from the heart. <laughs> it was from the heart, just flowed like me. So, so Saul wanted the glory of displaying Agag. He wanted the trophy. He, he didn't obey God completely because he wanted to show off a little bit. Aren't we that way? We partially obey God. We partially obey God a lot of times to get religious credit or to impress somebody are for people to think we're spiritual, but we're not fully obeying God. You know, when we fully obey God, sometimes these are things that are obvious and clear. What the Bible says a sin is sin. But sometimes for us specifically with our walk with the Lord, God will tell me something that's a sin for me that may not be a sin sin to Nelson or to to Elise or someone else because my past and my future... And what God has called me to do. And so we partially obey God. And when we do that, the, the Lord has a grief upon him because we haven't followed him completely. I think about a grief in going to the gospel now in this unusual story in Mark chapter 10 that will guide us also today. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. This is Jesus, Mark ten seventeen, And asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that the question of all religion? Right? Like, how do I make it? How do I get in? How, how, do, how am I good enough? Now, Jesus answers this in an unusual way for us. And it will be incomplete until the end of the sermon. So, but let's continue to read. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not def- defraud, honor your father and mother. These are universal instinctive commands within us. I mean, almost every religion would say, yeah, those are good things. Don't kill, don't steal, be nice to your parents, don't lie. You know, we can all find commonality here. We can find agreement here. In verse 20, he said to him, teacher, i kept all these from my youth. He's thinking, I'm in. I'm in. I have met the minimum qualifications for eternal life. In verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Uh, don't, Don't go too fast past that statement. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this is not prescriptive for everybody, but it was what God was saying to this man. And verse verse 22, but he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So God doesn't ask all of us in this room or all of us watching online to give all of our possessions away. In fact, I don't really know many people, I'd have to thank hard, who have ever done that. So that's not a qualifier to become a Christian. But in this this instance, out of love, there was a reason why God asked this of the rich young ruler. And we're going to circle back to that at the end of the sermon. So I want you to keep this story in mind. I want you to keep this story in mind. But to my point, this is partial obedience. The, The rich young ruler is saying, I've done these things. I've done the big things. Now Jesus said, out of love, but there's one more thing I'm asking you to do. And it was something that was impossible for him to do in his mind and heart. And so, so it is that, that he's calling us to full obedience. Partial obedience, and this is not in, in context of salvation, but this is in walking things out with God. Partial obedience that impresses someone else may not impress God so we seek the Lord's wisdom and we seek who he is. Here's number two, raising human monuments, raising human monuments. By the way, I'm going to give you four points. And in case you don't notice this, they all start with R, which was important to me when I was writing the sermon, but I just want you to know since it was important to me. Thank you, com. Verse 12 so glad Abby's sitting on the front row because she's laughing at mama jokes. Thank you. That's a wonderful daughter. (laughs) Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. This, This is a common practice of kings in that time. And it's really a common practice for us today also, right? I mean, you can't go to Many towns in America where there's not some type of memorial. Often it's, it's, it's uh, recognizing the dead, which is appropriate. But sometimes it's recognizing a, a military leader or a general. And this is common for man to set up memorials and monuments. In this case, Saul set one up for himself. He was so impressed that he partially obeyed God, he was so impressed that he got the win that he set up monuments. And guys, we do the same thing. We, we sophistic- with sophistication, set up these monuments to glorify ourselves. I mean, it happens through social media a lot. It happens in the early days of blogging when we were trying to figure out how to use the internet. Pastors used to kind of humble brag. You know, someone said this about me, that my ministry was really effective. There's, there's different ways that we have to keep checking our hearts on the line between giving information and giving opportunity and self-promoting. I find that in, in the way that we just spend our lives. You know, in the way we, we, we talk about our, our, our children. Is it giving information or is it bringing glory to ourselves? In the way that we talk about our business, our assets, Yes, information needs to be shared, and God can get the glory from that. But we can also build monuments to ourselves in very sophisticated, subtle ways that feels like humility, but it's actually kind of bragging. Christian author Henry Nowen, whose writings have impacted me greatly, uh, said this. I wrote this. When we are not concerned about what others think of us, are what we will get from what we do, which, by the way, is a process and a lifelong battle. And Henry Nowen had that battle too. So I don't think any of us is, are going to live like, oh, I don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> we have to keep submitting that to the Lord. But when when we're not concerned about what others think of us or what we will get for what we do, the right words and actions will emerge from the center of our beings because the Spirit of God who makes us children of God and sets us free will speak and act through us. That's what we have to trust. Less of me, more of Jesus. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he will increase. And we have to trust that, that more of Jesus moving through us, more of Jesus being glorified and magnified through us. Here's the third warning from the life of Saul. We must, we must not resort to deception. Why would we grieve the Lord? Resorting, resorting to deception. Here's a couple of subpoints: A, self-deception. Self-deception. Man, it's so easy to try to lie to ourselves. And we do that a lot when we say, you know, when I cut them down, it was no big deal. It was no big deal when I cut them down. I was just joking. We, we kind of know instinctively we've hurt somebody, but we don't want to own our lack of discipline with our mouth. You know, when, when we begin to justify cutting the corners on the job and the things we do, when we're not fully there, we're not fully putting in our hours, we're not giving our best work and we start deceiving ourselves. Well, you know, the boss, he's not on time, so why should I be on time? Or no one really cares about those reports or no one really reads that. Or, and we have self-deception to justify our sin and that grieves the Lord. That grieves the Lord, and it grieves his heart. Look what Saul said to Samuel in verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag. Of and and this, is, this is not what he was supposed to do, but he self-deceived and said, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. That's not true. He didn't do that, but he was con- trying to convince Samuel and convince himself that he had done that. Boy, I've done that a lot in my life, too. Where, I yeah, it's not that bad, or it's not that big of a deal, or, you know, they, they did it. At least I was better than them. At least I didn't. My, my standards are higher than their standards. This is a self-deception that we live in. And then we have B, just write out deceit. And, and deceit happens. So that's, that's kind of letter B, deceit. Look at verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. So this is just frontal deception. I, 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 he's lying to the face of Samuel in verse 20. And that's the temptation that we have. A couple of days ago, something kind of crazy happened in New York City. If if you didn't see the news, I want to congratulate you for not watching the news. That's great. Yeah, I've tried to give up the news a lot, but I just keep going back to it. You know, it's like a 48-year habit. Okay, maybe 45-year-old habit. I started watching the news at age three or something like that. (laughs) But evidently, if I understood the story correctly, there was a a promotional that went through uh, TikTok or whatever to give out uh, Nintendo's at a park in New York city and thousands of people showed up, like thousands of people showed up. I-, I just thought that was interesting that for you baby boomers, you guys used to like protest things and gather for like ending war and stop- stopping nuclear weapons. And younger generations are gathering for Nintendo. <laughs> I want a free Nintendo. Let's gather for that. But it's true, and, and this has been in every generation, so I'm not picking on, on any generation. Free stuff, free stuff. I mean, back in the 80s, the, the, the mall giveaways where people would push each other down and camp out all night for free items. So it's in every generation. This, this thirst for materialism, this thirst to, to, get, to get something physical. And so number four is this, relishing materialism. Relishing materialism. This is a way that that can grieve the heart of God. Look at verse 19. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Now look at this phrase. Why did you rush on the plunder? As I was working through the scripture and I saw that news story, I saw something, you know, this rush on the plunder. But this was the case for for Saul. He was going after the best cattle. He was going after that which was best and holding it for himself when the Lord had said, no, no. The Lord has said, no, don't do that. I want the opposite of that. And he went for what was best. So we, we see all this and we're like, wow, this is a lot. I mean, that's a lot to ask Saul. That's a lot to ask the rich young ruler. Is, is, is being spiritual like impossible? Is being righteous impossible? Well, the answer is yes, it is. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10, and starting with verse, verse 23. And we'll close this up. It said, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And that's, that's most of us in this room here. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In verse 26, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Yeah, it is true. You cannot be the perfect king like Saul. You cannot be the perfect rich young ruler. You cannot be the perfect person living in Hendersonville in 2023 and earn your way to heaven. We're going to have these mistakes. We're going to have these setbacks. And even if we get all of our actions right, then pride comes into our heart. We're like, oh, I'm pretty spiritual. I am moral. I am disciplined. So we kind of throw our hands up and like the disciples say, well, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And then Jesus said in verse 27, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And what was he pointing to? He was pointing to his death and his resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. He did the impossible. He did, he did what no human effort can accomplish. Jesus accomplished for us. And so that's what it is. And when the Lord regrets that he made Saul king and regrets the sin he sees in us, he doesn't walk away. He steps in. And his, his regret led to change. And that change was the cross and the resurrection. So we rest today. We rest today in the work of Jesus, what Jesus did for us. What he did for us changed everything. Hey, would you join me in prayer? So God, as we looked at that unusual scripture, I just pray that insight and truth for holy living just would just come into the lives of, of the people who are here with us today. God, we ask that. We thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we celebrate with those who are being baptized momentarily, Lord, we thank you that you have done for them what was impossible. You have done in them what's impossible. Jesus, you made all things possible. We love you. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for this chance to celebrate with those. And we just ask that you would position our hearts for all that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with me, would you say amen?